0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel Elmani. Why don't you turn your Bibles into Romans chapter three? Romans chapter three. Today's study is called Being Right with God being right with God. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and what it does to us, Lord. It instructs, it corrects, it exhorts and encourages God. I pray that your word would have effect in our hearts today, that your Holy Spirit would be here to bring discernment and to touch people's lives. I pray that you have the hearts prepared now to receive your word and that you would do a mighty work and let us walk out of here changed by your spirit and filled with joy. We worship you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) So, telling you a little bit about the book of Romans, the book of Romans has as its theme, being right, or being right with God. It's like the explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why it was, what effect did it do, and what are we supposed to be now that we know this? Romans chapter 1 spends its time telling you the Gentile world is guilty before God and goes forward to prove it. Romans chapter 2 then goes to the Jew and says, You're just as guilty. Just because you have the law doesn't mean you've obeyed it. And it tends to sit there and show the Jew that he is guilty before God. And Romans chapter 3, at the beginning of Romans chapter 3, shares All the world is guilty before God. So how does a man become right with God? Because if you really look at your Christian walk, that is one of your true desires that you have. I want to be right with God. And it affects your life. It affects your mental, uh, attitude. It affects you physically. It affects what you do in your life. If you're right with God, you walk with joy. You walk with a free conscience. If you're right with God, you can go out boldly and do the work of the Lord. A lot of people, when it comes to do the work of God, and they have to step up to the plate, the first thing you do is examine your heart. You say, am I right with God to be able to do this? And some, with a guilty conscience, will turn away and say, no, not today, I'm not going to do it. Or even to take communion. They'll say, no, I can't, I'm not right before God. But being right before God really makes a change in your life. And a Christian, as part of his witness, is to be right with God. And thus the world sees his life right with God. Not only by example, but he sees the fulfillment and the joy of the believer in what he has in being right with God. And he says, wow, I want that. I want that for my life. What does it mean to have a right relationship with God? What does it mean to be before him? Spotless and blameless, and to have that freedom because it will affect everything you do. If you're not right with God, you have a high stress level. You're stressed out. You're thinking, "What if I get caught?" You're thinking, "What if I do this?" or "What's going to happen now?" or "How?" And then you get frustrated. You know, why can't I live this life? Why can't I do this? Is it supposed to be this hard? And it robs you of joy. And all of this comes because of our desire to be right with God. Let's see what the Bible says about being right with God. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 says, Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the, by the law is knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the works of the law, is revealed people usually look at, for their life, to how am I going to be right with God. And they look at the Ten Commandments. And they say, we have to follow the Ten Commandments. If we want to be right with God, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, all these different things, don't have any idols in your life and all. And they look, and they take the Ten Commandments and they put them up in their... Room so that they can see it, and show it, and know it, and try to live it every single day. But you also see that in the book of Acts, when the church, the early church, made an endeavor to try to get the Gentile church to follow the law. you got to remember, it was a cultural thing of the Jews that had the Ten Commandments, that had the law of God, the Ten Commandments, they they turned into 66 volumes of laws. Where, you know, um, if it's the Sabbath day, you can pull your donkey out of the ditch, but you cannot walk around, or you cannot pick up a stick. And very legalistic aspects to look at and to try to understand. And they wanted to apply this to people who were non-Jews that had no clue of the God of the Old Testament. Never heard of the Old Testament. Never knew the Old Testament. All they knew was Jesus Christ came to save them. That's all they knew. And that changed their life. But now, they they were called the Judaizers in the Bible... They were coming to the Gentiles and say, well now that you know Jesus you need to learn the Ten Commandments. You need to know the law. You need to study and obey the law now that you're saved. And there was a big debate in the church over it to the point where Paul went to Jerusalem to discuss it and in the end they decided that the only things that needed to be done is to keep people from stumbling. The eating of blood and the um, sexual immorality and worshipping idols, you know don 't do that stuff because it was common practice of idol worship in different cultures, and that they weren 't to obey the law as a culture and the church settled that early in the book of Acts. Now, you see in churches today the same thing being done. Not necessarily from the book of Acts style, trying to make us Jews, but putting up rules and regulations. And some people actually live their life by those works or rules that they put up. Uh, Rules that will constitute righteous and unrighteous actions in my life directing the conduct of myself or even the church. All of this is to the effect to have a righteous standing before God. If I do these things, I'm holier if I do them. If I don't do these things, I'm more right with God than if someone that does do them. I don't drink coffee because it's damaging to the temple of God and I don't drink coffee. And you shouldn't drink coffee because it's damaging to the temple of God. So I don't drink coffee and that makes me more right. Or I do these things. I I do more service. I come to church at six o'clock. I pray every day for six hours. It makes me more right with God. And so... It's a righteousness predicated on my activities or my work. This righteousness that's ever based on my activities or my work is self-righteousness. Because it's a righteousness that I created myself. That I do these things and I don't do these things. And what ends up happening is you tell people about how good you are. It's just an automatic result. Man, I'm so good. Did you see I just walked that old lady across the street today. Ah, man. I feel so glorious now. I feel so awesome. And because it's your righteousness by your standard of Rules or activities. Now you want to tell everybody about it because not everybody knows your standards. Not everybody knows your activities. And people have to understand how holy you are. And so it leads to boasting. But then, a fruit of that, what ends up happening is now I begin to apply those activities, apply those rules and regulations to other people's lives. And now I'm saying, I'm sitting in the restaurant with this guy and he's drinking Coca-Cola, has caffeine in it. Man, I'm so glad I don't drink caffeine like this guy. Oh, man, this guy doesn't know what damage he's doing to the temple of God. He doesn't understand... How right he can be if he would just give up drinking Coca-Cola. And now, this standard and this activity and this work that you have, this self-righteousness, now becomes the standard that you look at as how a person is right before God. And you begin looking at other people. You don't do these things. You should be doing these things. You need to be doing these things. Oh, hey, if you got a tattoo, brother, you're not going to heaven. If your hair is this long, oh, you're not saved. And different rules and regulations that the church puts on people or that people themselves put on others. It only bears fruit to self-righteousness. Because it is a righteousness that is predicated upon what I believe, things I should do and I shouldn't do, and then I have my own righteousness that I've created out of this box. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did in their time. They took the Ten Commandments and they made 66 volumes of books out of it. Oh, if you do this, if you do that, oh, but if you do this, but if you don't do this, you're okay. You see, and all these things, and that's a trap we get into. Even in your daily walk with Jesus Christ, you can fail, you can blow it, and when you blow it, okay, I gotta, I gotta be better, I gotta try harder. I gotta do more. I gotta stop this and I gotta do that. And you lose focus of what righteousness is. And because you're basing your righteousness on your activities and your works rather than what God has righteousness as. And now you begin feeling condemned. You begin feeling frustrated. You begin feeling stressed out. And oftentimes, many believers actually quit. Just give up entirely. Say, hey, I don't want to be just another one of the hypocrites in the church. Or you continue in sin and you say, it's okay because nobody's perfect, nobody's right, and everybody's doing it. Well, it's not true. So, what is it to be right before God? To be in a right relationship with God because that is exactly what righteous means. To be in a right relationship with God. Let's take a look at the text, okay? Now, first of all, Romans chapter 3 verse 19 says that the world is stopped and the whole world is guilty before God. That means nobody has the right to say they are righteous based upon their activities or their works. Every mouth is stopped before God. Me, you, hope, everybody. Not a single person can say my standard of righteous rules meets God's measure. And it's not true. Never will. And it can't. Why? Because it says, Galatians chapter 3 verse 2 says, But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, No flesh is justified, and knowledge of the law is knowledge of sin. You see, the Ten Commandments weren't given to you to put on your wall and say, that's my trophy. I live that every day. I don't break one of those. Any day of the week, any day of the year, any day of the decade. I look at the law, I don't say that. When I look at the Ten Commandments, I go, oh, man, I broke that one today.'" Ah, man, I broke that one yesterday. Because why? Knowledge of the law is knowledge of sin. The law was not given to you so that you could obey it. The law was given to you so you would know how wretched of a human being you are. Because God is holy. And is based after the holiness of God. And you look at that, and it shows you your sin. It shows you where you're at, for real. Because we fool ourselves. We say, oh, it's okay, oh, I'm all right, oh, I'm cool, things are great. And then we look at the law and we say, wow, I'm really messed up. I'm really lost. Where did I go wrong? How could I have been so bad? Because what? The knowledge of the law is knowledge of sin. That's what it was designed to do. The law was not to make you righteous, but to make you seek a Savior. It was designed to point you to Jesus. It was designed to make you go, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, and that's where you need to understand things. Because... Paul says in Galatians, Hey, you know what? You got saved by faith, and now you're trying to make this perfect by doing the works of the law? How are you going to do that? How do you make something that started off by faith perfect or mature by the works of the law? He says you can't. Now, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I was at the bottom I had contemplated seriously suicide a couple times. I was a crack addict. I was lost. I was messed up. And I was ready to end it all. And Jesus said in his word that he would forgive me. That if I repented and come to him, he would save me. He'd give me a new heart. He'd give me a new life. And he'd give me a new start. And I told him, I don't have anything to give you. All I have is me. And you say that you'll forgive me, and you'll clean me, and you'll dust me off and make me new, and clear my conscience, and give me a new start. Okay, here I am. And by faith, I believed him. And by faith, He did a work in my heart. He did a work in my life. He changed me. He made me brand new. I felt the guilt and the shame free. Gone. I felt brand new. And God doing a new work in my life. Remember that about you? On how you came to Christ? On how God did a work? Did He say... Say ten Hail Marys and fifty Our Fathers and crawl on your knees to the mountain and then you'll be saved? Did He say, go and do fifty push-ups and run ten miles and then you'll be saved? Did He say, go and give up this and give up that and do this and do that and do this and do that and then you'll be saved? No. By faith, at that moment, He touched you and He freed you. And He, the power of God, was activated in your life by an act of faith. Because you believed. Because that's how God's works. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 21 through 24 it says, Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, that which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But scripture has confined us all under sin. That the promise of by faith in Christ Jesus might be, might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were all kept guard by the law. Kept, kept for the faith which would come afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That we, we may be justified by faith. That's what the scripture says. To bring you to Christ. That's what it was all about. Romans chapter, back to Romans chapter 3 verses 21 and 22, they're basically saying, righteousness came by faith. Righteousness came by faith, and this righteousness, which was apart from the law, this righteousness came and was witnessed by the Old Testament. That righteousness came by faith. And he shows it in Romans chapter 4 verse 1. It says, What shall we say, that Abraham our father was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted for him righteousness. Now to him who works, wages are not counted as grace, but as debt, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly his faith is accounted for righteousness. That's how you live your life. You see you can't go and say you know if I'm this right and I do all these activities God will bless me. Because when you do all that and you're so righteous and then you don't get blessed you're like what am I doing wrong God? How come you didn't bless me? I'm doing all these things right. I've got all this list going. My activities. My righteousness. and I've checked them off and I've done them all. How come you have not blessed me? Because then it's no longer grace, is it? Trying to work your way to reward. God doesn't bless you because you're so good. God blesses you because he's so good. God blesses you because He loves you. God blesses you because you believe Him and you love Him. You have found out what a wretched person you are. You have found out that He can free you from it. You have found out that you can fall in love with Him. And now, you don't obey because I'm trying to get this blessing you obey because you want to say, I love you. I love you. I want to do this because I want to say, I love you. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Thank you so much for blessing me. And then God will bless you again. He's like, wow, you just blow me away. I don't deserve it. And God's saying, I love you. I love you. What comes out when I have all these works? that I'm doing, and these activities I'm doing, and then God doesn't bless me, you serve God for the wrong reasons. You don't serve Him because He's your Savior. You don't serve Him because He's King of the Universe. You serve Him because you want something out of Him. You serve Him because He's your genie. You serve Him because He has responsibility to do this blessing for you because you did this for him. And God owes no man. God owes no man nothing. And what ends up happening is bitterness to God. God's not real because I did these things, he didn't bless me, so I don't want nothing to do with God anymore. When in actuality, you had the wrong idea of why God blesses in the first place. You had this whole idea that you could be good enough to God. And not one of us is good enough to stand before God on our righteousness. There's a song by Cutlass. It says, If I lost it all, would my hands stay lifted to the God who gives and takes away? Would you? If you lost your home, you prayed and You did all these activities and all these works to stay right with God. And you lost your home anyway. Would you still serve God? If you lost your job. If you got sick. Why do you serve God? What is your motive? Is he your savior? Is he the love of your life? where you're willing to let go of everything just to be with Him not to give it to the church but to give it to Him see this body is yours I love you do what you want with it everything in my life is yours whatever happens it's yours it's yours, you do what you want with it as far as I'm concerned in my life you know what I can't wait to see if God's going to give me a home or God's going to bless my finances or do all these things. I just want to go home. I just want to go be with Him. I want to fall in love with Him every day, no matter what my circumstances are. He is the peace in my life. He is the joy. He is the song in my heart. And no matter what circumstance I'm in, no matter what I'm going through, He gives me peace. He gives me love. He gives me joy. That is my source. Or else I'm just like the rest of the world and they're watching me. And they're looking at me going, man, bro, how can you have joy in this messed up world? How can you have peace? You just lost this or you just got so sick. Because my foundation of being right with God is because I love Him and I believe Him. I believe Jeremiah 29.11 that says, My thoughts of you are thoughts of good and not evil. To give you a future and a hope. And I believe it with all my heart. No matter what my circumstances tell me. Because this world is passing and I don't belong here. And every day the world reminds me of that. But every day I remind the world, I don't belong here. And I want to go home. And I can't hardly wait to be with Jesus. And my eyes are not on this world. My eyes are not on how healthy I am or how much money I have or how many good things I've got. My eyes are on, I'm going to heaven. That's where your eyes need to be. I'm going to heaven. He saved me. Yeah, this world's temporary, man. All the trials you're going through, that's a nice thing you can know about it. That's one thing that can put a smile on your face. It's temporary. All your trials pass. They all do. But do you have the spiritual courage to stand by faith and fight and believe and don't believe the lie that the enemy's telling you that God's not fair? God's not righteous. God's not good. And stand in that right relationship with Him and despite the world or your conscience or the devil say, My God reigns. And he has all good planned for me. And that one day, I'll see him face to face. And that'll make my forever day. And bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Because if your focus is on him, you will make it. The trials will fall away. The next chapter will start. But you'll be right And if you're right, you'll make it with joy and a smile and a free conscience. All is his, despite what you think anyway. All is his. And he gives and he takes away. But all of that will be based on his love. Not his anger or his hate. You know, God watches over you not to... Watch when you mess up again. God watches over you because He loves you so much He can't take His eyes off you and He wants to bless you. But your heart has to be prepared. Or you may go astray. Or you may forget God. Or you may go do your own thing and forget Him altogether. But God wants that for you. God has that for your life. He's redeemed you. Verses 23 and 24 says that all fall short, but we are redeemed by Christ Jesus. And being made right by that belief, we are right with God. Take all your guilt. Take all your shame. Look at how you failed God this week. And... How many times have you gone to God for the exact same thing this week and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry until you kind of get this feeling like you're okay. Understand, the first time you said it, you were forgiven. You were clean. And the scripture says, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And the Bible says, He casts your sins as far as the east is from the west and He remembers them no more. You know, if you go north, sooner or later, you're going to end up going south, huh? But if you go east, you're never going west. And he didn't say, I cast your sins as far as the north is from the south. He said, I cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. I cast them into the deepest part of the ocean, which to this day, modern technology, modern man still doesn't know how far down that is. And he says, and I remember them no more. An omniscient, that's a theological term that means all-knowing. An all-knowing God only forgets one thing and that's your sins when you repent. And he remembers them no more. In Isaiah chapter 12, he says, come with joy and drink from the wells of salvation. Go get it, man. He died to give it to you, and to free you, and to draw you closer to Him. So that you're right with God by what He did. And that you can appreciate that so much, you can look and say, Hey, you know what? You're worth getting to know. You love me that much? I want to know you. I want to find you. And when you go that path, it's like just consumes you and you want more. Because you get to know Him better. You get to know Him more. You get to know Him stronger. And you have this passion for Him to want to be with Him, to want to be like Him, to fall in love with Him more every day. And then all of a sudden, man, what can I do for you? You've done so much for me. What can I do for you? And then next thing you know, you're getting involved in church and you're doing all these things. Then all of a sudden, you find out why He made you. And that's the greatest miracle of all. Now I know why you made me. Now I know why you have me here. Now I know why you have me stuck living with my in Now I know why you have me driving this broken down, beat up old piece of garbage car. As all of a sudden I ran into this mechanic. And I got to share the gospel and he got saved. Loved that mechanic so much. You made me keep this cheap, beat-up old car for five years. Just for this day that he could know you. You loved my in-laws so much. Even though I didn't. And made me stay there ten years. So that one day they could be saved. You loved them that much. But God has a plan. And He wants to use you. But understand, you're right with Him. Not by what you do, but by what He does. And when that happens, you have the opportunity and the privilege to fall in love with Him. Because He redeemed you. He saved you. Let me tell you a little story. This rich English family invited friends down to to their biggest state to have a big get-together. And one of the kids fell into the pool on the deep end and was drowning. And the gardener saw what was going on, and he dropped his stuff and he went, and he jumped in the pool and he rescued that little boy. And the parents came out with tears, Realizing what had happened and how they almost lost their child forever, went to the gardener and said, How can we ever repay you for what you've done for us? And he thought about it and he says, I would like my son one day to be able to go to college and become a doctor. And they said, We'll pay for it. And that little boy that was saved by that gardener, his name was Winston Churchill, who one day became the Prime Minister of England and gave victory, led the English to victory during World War II. Later he became very sick with pneumonia and they were very concerned this could be fatal. So they asked for the best physician in the land to come. And they found a physician who had created penicillin, Sir Alexander Fleming. He came in and it turned out to be the gardener's son. Winston Churchill said it is very rare that you are saved by the same guy twice. You know, he He was blown away that this doctor was that man's son. And he owed him so much that that he owed his life twice. We were brought into this world and we were given life by someone who loves us very dearly, our Father in Heaven. And he loved us so much, he gave us a new birth. And he gave us life again. How grateful should we be? How in love should we be with him? That we could be able to fall in love with him more every day. What kind of relationship would you want with somebody like that? Who loves you that much? Who died to give you life? I want to be with him. And I've spent 24 years trying to get closer every day and I tell you what, it goes deep. Love goes deep and I still haven't touched it. I've just drank two handfuls of the ocean of grace that's been given to us and I want more. And That's where I want to be. And I can be that because I'm right with God. Right now, you can be right With God. And walk out of here knowing. I'm right with God because what He's done. And I'm not being blessed or cursed. By anything that I'm doing. I'm being blessed because God loves me. And that's the only reason. And I'm going through these trials. And I want to say I love you. No matter what happens. I know you have good intentions for me. And when it's all said and done, you'll find out how awesome and how loving he really is. There was one point in time in my life where we were trying to make ends meet, you know, and uh we were like $500 short. And it was Thursday, and... I needed all the $500 by Monday, and Tuesday was payday. So, wow, you know what, God? My wife was saying you should ask for an advance. Maybe we can do this, maybe we can do that. And, uh, so I was getting ready to ask for an advance, and I just spoke up, and I'm heart, don't ask. And I discussed it with her because I want to be in one mind, and she said, you know what? You do what you think God's called you to do, but you better make sure it's God leading you. <laughs> I said, let's do it. Let's just trust God for it. And I just prayed and I asked God, God, you just help us out. And uh so I decided, you know what? I'm just going to pray. and I'm going to give some time to the Lord for prayer. So my lunch hour, I prayed instead of going to lunch. And just spent time with the Lord. And during my lunch hour, she sends me a text that two checks for $250 came in today from our clients. I'm like, wow, God, I wasn't even done with my prayer time. (laughs) So it wasn't because I prayed so much or I did this. It's just he wanted to bless me and show me that he's real and show me that he's active in my life. And sometimes I don't understand what he's doing, but I have limited knowledge. Even if I claim to know all the knowledge in the whole universe and boasted that I knew 2% of all the knowledge in the universe, God knows 98% more than I do. And he knows what's going on. And I'm best leaving it into his hands. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28-30, through 30, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is greater than your heart. Let all the guilt and shame go away. God has what's good for you in mind, thoughts of good, not evil, to give you a future and a hope, God wants to bless you. But God's also more concerned about your character than your comfort. And as long as you put him on the throne, that he is sovereign, you'll have peace. You'll know you're right with God. And you know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I am right with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the grace and love and mercy that you've given to us and you've blessed our life with Lord. And just how you've touched us, God. I pray right now for everybody here that has failed you and fallen short. That you would today forgive their sins by what you have done. And that, Lord Jesus, by your spirit and by your grace, you would draw them to you as they come to your cross. And that you would give them victory in their life. There's going to be a battle. But there's victory as they call upon you and surrender and submit to you and allow you to do the work. As they submit to you, resist the devil and he flees, Lord, knowing that a greater one than him is living inside me. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, for those people that are hurting financially, Lord, that you would be Jehovah Jireh and you would touch their lives. I pray for those, Lord, that don't understand why they're sick or why they're losing their home or why things are the way they are, Lord. Help them to understand there's a bigger picture. And that life, the colors of life are both dark and light. I pray, Lord, that you would just bless them beyond their wildest dreams. Give them a peace that passes understanding because our fellowship with you and our relationship with you is not based on how good we are, but how good you are. And our fellowship is not based on what you can, what we can get from you, but because you're king of the universe, and that reality stays the same no matter what happens in my life. I pray that you fill them with your spirit. I pray for those that don't know you, Lord, that need you, that need to find your salvation, Lord. I pray that you would touch them and minister to Lord. How empty their lives are without you. How aimless they are. No direction. And that the eternity that was put in their hearts can only be filled by you. Allow them to know you, Lord. We worship you and praise you. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, I pray you come out to me and talk to me in the back after the service. And I'll talk to you. We love you, praise you, and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626 3414 Remember that Jesus loves you.